You are listening to the Signal to Noise podcast on the Pro Sound Web Podcast Network. Signal to Noise is supported by Audix. Check out their new line of Pro Studio headphones, as well as the A131 and A133 large diaphragm studio condenser microphones at audixusa.com. Alan and Heath has asked us to read this. These witty little intro spots are surprisingly tricky to write. Maybe we'll try a joke this time. Knock, knock. Who's there? Who? Who's there? Who? Who, who, who? Who let the dogs out? Welcome back to the Signal to Noise podcast on Pro Sound Web. I'm Michael Lawrence. I'm joined by uh, my goateed friend, Chris Leonard. Nice How's goatee. It going? Thank you. You're looking good. Same goatee I've had for. It just—I don't time. know if you just you know a little bit off the top or what. It just looks very. I did. Yeah. I did shave. I yeah, did shave this morning. Yeah, you look yeah. very, very kempt, which is, I guess, the opposite of unkempt. I don't know if I'm allowed to say that, but sure. I just did it. I had, to, had, to, had to go to site today. We had like an on-site gig today, so I had to like go to. Actually, I got to see Brian, our good friend Brian Maddox. Oh. I got to see him, so I had to. You know, I had to yeah, clean well, up you, little, well, you know? I, now that I know that you don't clean up for me, but you do clean up for Brian. So, but thank you, Chris. You I, look. I got a, you I got great, a, man. I got a face for radio or a face for podcasting. So you know, so uh, we have a special guest host this episode, uh, and yes. people may remember her from a very recent episode. Uh, Jess Berg. Hello. Our, our favorite uh, tour production manager and uh, front house mixer from from the Pacific Northwest. Um, our our guest this episode was actually Jess's idea, um, and Jess sent an email to us and she said, "Hey." Um, you absolutely have to get this person on the show. They've, you know, their work has just been so inspirational to me, and she's just such a role model to me, and it's great. And so we reached out and we set it up, and we said, "Well, Jess, you have to come on and introduce her." So, um, Jess, will you please introduce our guest this episode? I uh, thank you. It be my honor uh, today. <laughs> we have an incredible guest with us. Uh, She's been a professional live sound engineer for at least 38 years and also started in the jazz clubs of San Francisco and in New York and toured the world with just incredible artists. Um, guys, let's please welcome Claudia Engelhart. Yay, welcome. <laughs> and, and Jess, when you sent, uh, when you sent that uh, article, or you sent Claudia's name over to us, I remembered that we at Person Web had done a profile on her recently, so I actually remembered... Senior name, Claudia, welcome to the show. It's great to have you here. Happy to be here. Where are you joining us from? Uh, from Valley Cottage, New York. <laughs> you know, it's funny because I live in New York and there are all these little tiny town names that you've never heard of. Yeah, this is one of them. It's really, uh, I mean, I'm 30 miles north of New York City, so it's just, you know, it's the suburbs up the Hudson Valley a little bit. Well, there so, you go. So yeah, you can, so you can we, I'm planning like a big field trip with a bunch of my friends to go see Phantom in November. So since you're so close, you oh, can you can work your way down. Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> definitely. So you've you've uh, I think you're you're probably most known for working with uh, jazz icon Bill Frizzell for so long. Um, other names on your on your kind of docket: yeah, Wayne Shorter, Herbie Hancock, Michael Brecker, John Schofield, Modesky Martin Wood. I mean, just just titans of you know hugely influential uh jazz musicians so we have a lot we want to talk about and i don't, we haven't actually talked too much about jazz on the show chris i know you did it again but i know but 
before we get to before we get to jazz hands though we have we have we chris have does tradition. this because you can tell he's a he's a dad because he holds his finger up like like he's gonna <laughs> scold me uh so um so we have a little tradition uh cloudy that we do at the beginning of every episode and it goes like this chris leonard what's the coolest thing you have within arm's length well so i have um this, wow uh, this, 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 this lo- lovely uh uh curly haired it's nice wig. and shiny that thing um, yeah that looks yeah and, and, and um so the backstory on this thing is you know uh, if you've ever toured um typically the last day of tour is like prank day right or you <laughs> punk people on stage and stuff like that right and so i was planning for the last day of, of this tour um and I, I, I was trying oh, the the middle act of the tour because I was with the headliner um, had an all female band and and the and the lead singer was a male and he would always do this bit where I don't know the middle of the show he would go off stage and, and the the dancers would do their thing and the band would do their thing and it was like an all female thing I was like I got an idea I was like I'm going to get a wig and a dress <laughs> and I'm going to go out there and dance with them so we happened to be like a few cities out from the last tour we were in some detroit theater somewhere i happen to see this wig backstage i may or may not have commandeered it um i'm sorry to that theater uh, i think the you, law you have whatever you're, you're a little so. bit lawless you you have a history of stealing things <laughs> and then admitting to it on the show he stole claudia he stole a box from obama would you believe that <laughs> a box no, uh, <laughs> an apple box that uh, his daughter was it was an apple on. box that his daughter stood on at, at, the, nice. at the inauguration uh but anyway. <laughs> anyway so anyway so the best part so like then i went, like went to walmart and got like this like skirt and a shirt and everything <laughs> and so the time comes the time comes and i run out on the stage and i start doing the macarena um and about 30 seconds later their security guard comes <laughs> over and like grabs me by the shirt and is like i guess he didn't recognize me i'm not sure how <laughs> yeah i can't imagine I mean, I why hair- <laughs> I mean, I mean, I have a wiggle, but I have, you know, I have the goatee. I get the hairy legs. Like, I mean, I don't know. like, And, uh, like, and the funny thing, they told me, like, the tour manager was like, dude, he almost he almost pepper sprayed you, but, like, he didn't want to spray it because he didn't want to, like, get the band and everything. So I almost That's got pepper sprayed. Nice. Um, That's a good story. The whole, yeah, the whole tour thought was hilarious, except for the artist. Um, and so I had, to apo- I, I, had to, I had to apologize, but uh, it was worth it. See, the prank so, thing is, yeah. Definitely. Yeah, but end of, end of tour pranks are, are, are a lot of Definitely. fun. Definitely. Yes. Jess, what, what's what's the coolest things in arm reach of you? Uh, uh, today, you had time to prepare, by the way. You had, you had two weeks to prepare. I know. Today I'm going to share. <laughs> I have this uh, Windstock chime. Oh. It's a trio of some pure tones uh, that was a gift many, many moons ago. And it's... Uh, just really puts you right in the moment. Wow. And it just keeps wow. ringing. Mm-hmm. So, like there you go. That's yeah. a good one. Definitely. It's good. Yeah, good for the toolkit. Yeah, yeah. definitely. Mm-hmm. Cool people out. Mm-hmm. That was Michael. I'm that was relaxing. I feel yeah. very focused did, now. Did, did you fall asleep? Are you awake? No, I just I feel like hyper focused. Um, I I you know what? I'm gonna do it. I'm gonna do a double because I know that I usually have some fancy gadget that I want to talk about. Um, this thing I am not I am not a big gadget guy as much as like I'm not like the sharper image. You know what I mean? Like as seen on TV, I don't I don't need all those things, and I'm I'm pretty deliberate with like 
stupid stuff that I want to spend money on. <laughs> um, so um, I only make meaningful impulse buys. Um, this this is a gadget called a Remarkable, and um, it's e-paper tablet. So it's basically like a Kindle, uh, like an e-reader, only you can write on it. Cool. And it's really nice because it's not backlit, so it just looks like paper and feels and reacts like paper. That's really cool. And it doesn't right, and it doesn't stress your eyes out. Um, and I spend a lot of time like you know editing PDFs, and the, uh, I could put my input list you know, and stage plots on here and mark them up. And, and I have, and wait, I have to write that thing down. Cause that's really cool. It's, What's it called? For the record, no, this is not. a sponsor, but yeah, if they, if they want to give us money, it's called, Maybe uh, we should all get endorsement. For well, that? you know, I tried actually. <laughs> yeah. It's called, it's called remarkable. Their website's remarkable.com. Okay. And I have to say it's a game changer. Um, okay, you know, cause I have cool. not amazing eyesight as it is. My eyes tend to get fatigued. Uh, I haven't, mm. I haven't used a piece of paper since I bought this thing. So, I'm pretty so that's great. So you're helping the environment too. Yeah, you're... yeah, sure. You could you yeah, can absolutely good. use that as justification yeah. for yourself to buy it. Um, so that's that's kind of my cool gadget. Uh, the, the, I like that. The stylus is like you don't have to put batteries in it. It's passive. It's just you know I really I really like it. You can even write stuff and then it'll convert it to text and you can email it. Tell me that's not wild. See, I like that. Nice. <laughs> so that's kind of right. Up. That's like as analog as you could get being digital. It is, and there's no distractions. You know? There's no like notifications popping up. It's just, it's you know, it's really nice. It's just, I like that. Yeah. Okay, I'm so, that up. That's so cool. uh, for those of you who like to actually <clears throat> write things down, you know, that's a great one. I also have a gift card that was given to me by a friend. <laughs> Here are my choices. I want to hear in the Discord. I want you to vote on where I should spend this because I have six options. Hmm. Uh, Cheesecake Factory. Wow. Which, you know, personally, that would be my my vote. Red Lobster, uh, Buffalo. That, that's Kyle, that's Kyle's vote. Yeah, Buff, Buffalo Wild Wings, uh, P.F. Chang's, Cracker Barrel, and then there's uh, what's called McCormick and Schmicks. We, we don't have those around here. Oh, that's a steakhouse. It says seafood and mm-hmm. steaks. So yeah, um, but I don't yeah. think I've ever seen one of those. So those are my options. If y'all want to tell me in the Discord uh, where you think I should go spend my twenty five dollar dining gift card. I'll await uh, your It's funny. Talk about talk about was on the list. No, no, because I wouldn't. I w- wouldn't still have it. I would have used it already. <laughs> um, all right. Uh, so, Claudia, what's the coolest thing you have within arm's reach? Well, I didn't get a chance to prepare, so I'm looking. Uh, that's around. the best part. That's the fun part. Okay, within arm's reach, huh? Uh, you, you can extend the arm's reach if you need to a little bit. I know, okay. I'm trying to think. I have some cool things, but nothing's in my room right here. Let me just. <laughs> That I can think of. Jess, offhand. you didn't prep her for the show. Here, I, I have something cool here. I've got, which I'm going to use hopefully really soon. Hey, passport. There you go. <laughs> nice. That's pretty yes. cool, right? Yeah. <laughs> I think these things still yes. work. Um, <clears throat> and I'm supposed to be going to Europe in July. So oh, we'll awesome. see if it does work, if we're still allowed to travel <laughs> by then. So that's, that's kind of cool, I guess. Get back to, you know what we do for a living so kyle kyle was texting us today because he i know he loves like the kind of metal hardcore underground punk scene he loves all that Mm. stuff he had all these questions about the cpgbc he wanted to ask Um, (laughs) it's funny people want to ask want want to know all about that and uh it was such a short time in my life it was just sort of like a stepping stone to but was that one of those things i mean it's such an iconic venue that, yeah. Is that one of those things that you didn't realize at the time? You know, like in, in the movie Legally Blonde, when she, they're like, wow, you got into Harvard? And she's like, well, like, it's hard because she just doesn't understand. You know what I mean? Yeah. Is it, was it kind of like that for you? Um, I mean, I knew the historic. I knew how, you know, historic the place was. 
for me though yeah it was just kind of one of these places that I got a gig I went in there you know I had friends who were playing gigs there so I went in and did sound you know a couple times for my friends bands and then I can't even remember I guess I just asked them if they needed somebody and they gave me Monday nights and Monday night was audition night so I had to do seven bands every you know in a row they all had like 35 40 minute sets seven bands boom so it was kind of a great place because I was still, you know, I was just starting out. It was, a, you know, my first year in New York City. And uh, you could do anything. It was great. You, know? you probably got Didn't really matter. good at changing over quickly. <laughs> yeah, everything quickly. Like, you know, no sound. Just blah, blah, blah. Right. And it didn't matter what it sounded like because they were all kind of, you know, garage bands from New Jersey or Long Island that wanted to play at CB's, you know. So it was a great place to just play around and practice. Like, I didn't you know, really know that much, but they were super cool. Like they just said, here, just come in and do this. Right. So I did that for, you know, a couple nights a week for did, did, a year. Did, did any of those like, uh, <clears throat> those like trial acts that even become like, oh shit, I saw them when they were like, a, probably. A, you know. And I don't, I couldn't even tell you who they were, <laughs> you know, just, it was just sort of, it wasn't really my main focus. You know, I was a jazz snob, to be honest. I really, you know, I was really, I came from jazz music, I came from Latin music, and, and the rock world was sort of this foreign thing for me. I wasn't familiar with any any rock bands, really, like, you know, especially from that CB's world, you know? So I wasn't even aware of who I was around. I'm sure I was around a lot more people than I knew, you know? And it was just a gig, and I knew it was like the best room around. That was why I wanted to be in there, because it was the best sounding room in New York, and that was the... That was the whole thing. It's like, I want to work in there, you know? And it was. It was super great to work in there. You could, it's just the PA was killing. And it was funky and it was beautiful, you know? It was just one of those places that had a lot of spirit in there. It's interesting to hear you talk about, you know, coming out of jazz. Because, you know, when I was in high school, junior high, the work that I was doing, I was working at a, a local recording studio. And so this is sort of my first exposure to like pro audio and pro musicians and stuff and the idea of like putting mics on things you know that's kind of where i my first exposure to it and it was like all of those artists that you mentioned was that was the climate you know and the work that was being listened to and and that type of thing um and so i i it was interesting when i got to more pop rock modern styles you know in jazz it's like what do you want the drum set to sound like like make it sound like a drum set you know what I mean? Like you're, you're just really right. capturing and preserving that experience and you get to rock. You know, the the example I always use is the Nickelback drum set. It's just mm -hmm. this big, gigantic five finger death punch. You know, these the goal is not to make it sound exactly like what the drum set sounds in the space. It's like we mm -hmm. want big and punchy and exciting. And and that was a real adjustment for me to have to try to work in that direction, because when I was like, you know, 17, 18, I'm like, I don't know how to get those sounds. I don't know what people mm -hmm. are doing to get that drums that sound like this to make them sound like yeah. that. Um, whereas a lot of my colleagues have tried to go the other way where they've come up in rock and pop and then they get a jazz mm. gig and they're like, whoa, I don't know what to do. I'm like, don't do anything. Just put the faders out. <laughs> you know? So um, it, <laughs> yeah. it's interesting to, you know, it's always interesting to hear that perspective. Um, and uh, you know, there's a, there's a thing about listening. And I think with, with jazz and instrumental music, basically in general, not necessarily jazz, um, that you want to just rep represent what the instrument's giving you. So you don't want to, you know, manipulate it because it's already there. You just want to take it and just give it out to the people so they can hear it, 
right? right? And hopefully you can accomplish that. And that's what I try to do anyways, is try to just be as pure and organic as I can with the instruments that I'm working with. And, you know, sort of, it, 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 then it, the music lends itself to that. You know, it's not about like processing and, you know, doing all this other stuff to to make the sound something like you're talking about, turning it into something else. It's more about keeping it and trying to just just recreate it just in a bigger spectrum, you know? Did you did you know that from the beginning or did you have to learn that? No, I, I always knew that. You know, I grew up in music and so my, my family was a lot of music, a lot of live music in our household. And so I listened, there was a lot of listening, a lot of live listening. My father was a jazz musician and um, he played a lot at home and with bands and stuff and musicians would come over and play. So there was a, it was just sort of a natural and we all played music, you know, all my sisters and I too. So we all were playing acoustic music too. Oh, there's hey, Kyle. Kyle. <laughs> hey, buddy. Lord. <laughs> hey, Kyle. Hi. Insane, dude. I was cooking dinner and I was like, I'm messing the fucking podcast. <laughs> well, we're live on air right now, just so you know. Yeah. Awesome. Keep it. R- run that story. I'm missing the fucking podcast. <laughs> Holy! Hi, hello, hi, Claudia. <laughs> I, I, Claudia, it. when you were you, I mean, it, I, I'm picturing you kind of being in the room with all these musicians, like you know, like you said, friends with your dad, and just like hearing what that sounds like when you sit next to these people who are playing these instruments, and kind of how that sound fills a small room. Was that something that you um, found helpful? Well, you know, we, <clears throat> yeah, I mean, that's what it was all about. I mean. Our household was, uh, my dad builds metal percussion instruments. That's really where he makes his living. And um, so musicians would show up to our house just out of the blue. They'd come knocking at our door when they'd be playing in San Francisco. And, you know, it would be a party in our house, you know. So there were constantly people coming over and things would be happening just spontaneously, musically, you know, also. So, um <clears throat> My, my parents had all the pots and pans hanging on the wall in the kitchen and drummers would come in and play the pots and pans on the wall. You know what I mean? It was, things like, it was things like that, you know? So this was just kind of going on, you know, when you're a little kid, it's just, I just sort of took it for granted. Like this is, I mean, I knew it was all really special and I was really lucky to be around that stuff, but it was also kind of just part of my self, you know? And with all the music and my dad playing piano, I used to like to lie underneath the piano and just listen to the sound of the piano. And I would just do that for, you know, hours when he'd be practicing. I'd just, you know, space out underneath the piano. I mean, so that was just kind of part of my growing up. So I think a lot of that just got inside of me naturally. So that's sort of, you know, because that's sort of the answer to that question. It was just, and, you know, we were exposed to a lot. I mean, there was a great jazz club in San Francisco, Keystone Corner, which he has now opened one up in Baltimore. But back in the day, <clears throat> you know, kids were allowed in. So we would go all the time and go hear live music just regularly. You know, we'd miss school the next morning if we were up too late going out hearing live jazz, you know. So it was just part of our, you know, growing up. And luckily for me, I think it really, it was like just got inside my body and, you know. Yeah, so you've worked with a lot of, uh, you know, we mentioned a lot of iconic artists. I mean, freaking George Benson, Grover Washington, Miles Davis, right? So, um, when. Well, I didn't when, really work with George Benson or Miles Davis, but I was a, 
around Oh, I'm sorry. Bit. I'm sorry. I'm, I'm reading the article and the venue, I guess. Herbie Hancock. Herbie Hancock. I misread the article there. Anyway, either the way. Anyway, yeah. A lot of legends, right? So I, my, my point was... Um, and and obviously you were kind of like kind of just bred into this work. Where was where was the point where um, you knew uh, you had actually established yourself in this career? And like, did did you have a moment where you were like, this is what I'm doing for the rest of my life? I've made it. Like I've, I've kind of gotten to this level. Um, <clears throat> I don't know about like I've made it. I think maybe now finally I feel like I got this. You know, but it's taken me years to feel that confidence that. You know, because it's, it's, you know, you're constantly, it's never going to stop. You're constantly learning new stuff and it's not over yet. But I definitely feel much more solid about who I am and what I do in this world than, you know, maybe 15, 20 years ago. Can yeah. you repeat that for everyone who is <laughs> like a year or two in to yeah, this? That's, and like, that's you an know, important, <laughs> you know, this, this, and, and Willa Snow, who's been on our show a lot, says this all, you know, she, she does... She gives herself permission to screw up before every show. And I still walk into shows and go, hope I don't screw this up. But like, I mean, <laughs> it's not even about screwing it up, but it's just about staying still learning off of things that happen. Right, I mean, there's right. always going to be something that happens, especially in live. This is why live is so much fun, is that it's a constant. You never exactly know what is going to happen. And every day it's going to be something is going to happen, you know, that that might not be normal, you know. So you kind of have to be open and prepared for that. And so for me, being comfortable with that, I mean, I've always sort of been comfortable with that. Otherwise, I don't think I would be doing live sound. But because um, I like that and I like the adventure and I like the, the kind of the attention, the tension and the excitement of what's what might not happen, what might happen, you know, at showtime. But I think it's like... Yeah, it took me a really long time to feel like I really knew what I was doing hmm. and, or felt like I knew what I was doing. I still don't think I know what I'm doing. Sometimes <laughs> I get out there and I'm like, oh, what, the what, what am I doing? No, but, but, that keeps you, <laughs> but that keeps you on your toes. Like, there's, I, like yeah. I, I remember like my dad, my dad told me at a young age, he was like, he's like, if ever you walk into a show and you don't have just a little bit of nerves, he's like, you're doing something wrong. He's like, don't ever be confident to the point where you're not at least a little bit nervous or a little bit on edge because, uh, or questionable or whatever, because as soon as you get complacent to use, uh, Kyle versus, you know, act via Grace Royce, you know, you can only coast downhill, right? Like if you don't have that little bit of, of angst or whatever, you're going to well, miss something. I or, think you need to be yeah. excited and, and willing to just be, be ready for anything. You know, and that's that to me is the excitement. I mean, yeah, I've worked with Bill Frizzell for 30 years. We know each other really well. I know exactly. I can almost hear what he's going to play. Like I, even when he's in, I know where, where he's going. You know, I can hear it. But there's always going to be something that happens. It's just like, whoa, what was that? That, you know, and it might not even be a technical thing. It just might be in music, you know, mm. that I'm hearing. But um you know, but these are things like with, with time, you just have to be able to uh, to sort of be humble and to be ready for anything and awesome. enjoy it. You're like leading into my main questions that I've had for you. And I even texted the group earlier. I was like, those are my questions. Don't ask them. <laughs> so leading into your chaos and being able to put up what's going on, you were an engineer at the infamous CBGBs. And um, you already missed you this were... conversation, man. You're you're late. Oh man. Okay, fuck you guys. That quick. 
No, no I, we saved it for you, Kyle. Jump in, buddy. Yeah, go ahead. Go ahead. All right. <laughs> you must have been there during the most iconic part of New York hardcore ever in the history mm. of music. Yeah. And I told these guys as well, it seems like all of us have this weird past. Like, you do jazz. You do, like, yeah. jazz shows. Mm -hmm. But hold on. You did fucking hardcore shows at CBGB's well, I also, in the 80s. I also worked with John Zorn in Naked City. Now, if you guys don't yeah, know what man. that was, that was that, was that except with improvising musicians so who were kind of, some of them were jazz artists. I mean, you know, they, it was a different world. But they, that was full-on hardcore rock, screaming loud, crazy chaos. chaos. 30, chaos. 30 second tunes everything was like 30 seconds 40 seconds you know like really fast really loud just but you know it's funny like i was saying before about cbs cbs was just i was really young i was just looking for gigs in new york city i just moved to new york and i just happened to be able to get a gig at cbs and i wanted to play there because it was the best sounding room in town so i was like why that's where i want to be and it was, it was great. And it was just, but it wasn't where I lived musically. Like I didn't really know that music. I didn't, I wasn't, I couldn't name a band, you know, <laughs> that was Bummer. like, you know, that, you know, <laughs> I'm this, that wasn't, that wasn't, that wasn't my world, you know, it was just not where, that wasn't where I was going. Mm. That wasn't my goal. It was just a place that I landed and it was a great place because I was able to learn so much and I was given the opportunity to, to do anything I wanted and figure it out on the fly, which was like, what better experience is that, you know? So Kyle, Kyle you can jump off now if you want. No, I'm just, I'm just okay, thank you, I'm done. No, I, I just think that that's Sorry. like a, a mercenary audio thing where yeah. a, a CBGBs is where, and, and especially the new form of music that was coming out and yeah. the way people were reacting to it, you were put in a whole situation that a genre had never seen. So mercenary audio doing you know, yeah. 10 bands in a matinee show yeah. when, when half the band is on the floor for half the show or yeah. half the crowd is on the, on the stage for the show. Yeah. Like, I mean, I didn't work the hardcore matinees though. Those were Sunday afternoon shows. I worked Mondays and Tuesdays, which were audition night. So I, ah. I didn't get that. I didn't get that, that experience so much because that, it, like I said, that wasn't really my world. I wasn't really, turned on to that music. It wasn't really my thing. So I was just doing my gig because those were the nights I had. And I got to, you know, I would do seven bands a night and just whatever it was, it was. And it was, it was great. It was a great experience, but it wasn't where I was, that didn't, wasn't where I lived musically. It was just getting me to where I wanted to go. It happened to just to be, CB's was, was one of the landing pads of many that I hit when I was in New York. Were there engineers but, that- What a great you place. Were, you, Obviously influenced by so many musicians being around, but were there were there audio mixers and stuff that you were kind of clued into? Um, well, like at CB's, it was Robin Danar. He was the cat, man. He was just, I love Robin. He was so happening. It was really relaxed. And like in all that energy, he, he really was very clear. And he was somebody I could look up to and ask questions and feel comfortable asking questions when I was, whatever, 20 years old, you know? Um, yeah, as, as far as like specific engineers, I you know, I'm I'm the most non-tech person you're ever going to speak to. And I and I really sort of take things I'm more about the music and so I I've never really was like focusing on 
uh, and I because I work alone so much, I wasn't really focusing on who other engineers were so much as who the musicians were I got to work with. Mm. And it's a funny thing. I mean, now I under, now I have much more, you know, like I'm much more clued into who's whom, which people I really like, you know, and people have helped me out over the years and that I really respect. But when I was starting out, it was I was just wanted to be around the music. So you were just and kind I wanted of to be around the music out as, as you went kind of thing. That's awesome. Yeah, yeah. It's a, it's a cool yeah. like you know there's a there's a lot of people who have two different approaches of like the art and science side of of you know coming out what we're doing um, and so it's obviously you had very much more of an art before science yeah. and you had to learn oh. science afterwards you know um, pretty, I, I'm curious there was a line um, in this the Sound Girls article which we'll post a link to in the description. Um, a sound person can really make it difficult for a band to play if they're over amplifying mm. and talking about big big band and jazz and stuff. So can you talk about what some of your experiences are with that? Maybe maybe even a moment where it was like, hey, you, you know, you you got told like turn your shit down or that you're not doing this right or like what you know what was, well, what was that know, dynamic like? <clears throat> there's a lot to. I mean, this is constantly thing, especially in acoustic music. I think maybe in bigger like big shows like arenas and stuff like that, it's not such an issue. But when you're dealing with acoustic music. Uh, for instance, acoustic bass. It's a tricky instrument, you know, and a lot of people don't really know what to do with it. And people think that you have to hear the bass and you got to feel the bass and it's got to be rumbling. But in instrumental music and jazz and stuff like that, it's, it's, it has to be integral to the, to the whole, you know. Um, and a lot of people over push the bass in acoustic music. And it, it's harder for the musician to play because they're not feeling it from here. They're feeling it from way out there in the room mm. somewhere. And so they're not getting, you not know, it's, it's so this weird just or the or there's too much low end and it's just overwhelming them. But, you know, and the stage is just too, too much sound coming off the stage. Things like this. I mean, there's a lot of subtlety to mixing acoustic music and you have to be really tuned in to how the musicians are communicating with one another and how they're setting themselves up. So that they can hear each other, and um, I keep coming back to this, but it's really organic, mm. and it's really like I, most of the bands I work with don't use monitors. Um, I'd be out of we, a job. You'd be out of a job. <laughs> <laughs> you know, I mean, we set up really tight so they can hear each other, mm-hmm. and that's what it's about, right? You want to create like this this nucleus that everybody is together, so that they can create the dynamics and they can create. The, the space and then then it's just given to me and I can then put it out there in the world and try to try to do it justice from what they're giving me um, so things like that so so like for an engineer who's not used to dealing a lot with um, acoustic music or not used to working with musicians who approach music that way it's really it's really a sensitive place you have to be really sensitive to their needs and to what they're they're looking for and sometimes they have a hard time expressing themselves and telling you you know in words what it is that that's might be bothering them sonically mm-hmm. or something because it's it's they're, that they're not thinking about that they're thinking about music or improvise you know improvising or stuff right. like that you know so their heads are in a different space so that, for me i feel like I'm, it's really important to be able to understand them and then whatever it takes technically to make it happen then I do the best I can, you know, to to translate, you know. Jump in there, Jess. Don't be shy. I'm sure you have all sorts of <clears throat> things you want to talk about. Oh, I just, 
it it reminds me of uh well i i i'm just i'm i'm in awe of you claudia <laughs> um because i remember when i was a house tech at the dakota jazz club in minneapolis and you came through this was before you know i was just coming up in minneapolis cutting my teeth and i came up in the jazz world there and and learned very similar techniques and and came from a musician background as well and so so much of what you're saying I relate to, but I just remember when you came into the Dakota that day, and I don't know if you remember or not, it's probably just another gig for you, but <laughs> you just, you took over the club in such a way with such grace and mm. just, you know, because it, one of the things I loved about the Dakota is it, it really, I think, helped support um, tours coming through pretty well, but yeah. Um, so, so I'm hoping that, you know, we were able to help you start from a whole nother level where you could just take off. But I just remembered that there was a lot of magic to that show and it had everything to do with how you ran it that day. And huh. so I was like, wow, I want to do what she's doing. That is badass. Wow. So, yeah. <laughs> that's so cool. Mm-hmm. Wow. That's that's cool. I mean, sometimes I come in, I'm really bossy. <laughs> right, and I come but- in and I just start telling people what they need to do but you know time I have little time so I have to move fast and I'm by myself and I need to make things work yeah but, but um, you did it with such grace and that oh that's nice that's good yeah. to hear yeah, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> sometimes I wonder some people are just like oh my god you know what are they gonna do but <laughs> but thank you that's good but I love the Dakota too that's a great that's a great music room and everybody there understands you know they're into the music and that's why that place is so cool mm-hmm. you know i think that makes a difference too yeah definitely yeah mm-hmm. so thank you <laughs> all right well, well come on we got we got we got so many acts to talk about here so uh okay. uh i the, the one that stuck out to me um I could, we kind of mentioned this you know pre-talking here was uh, was uh, grover washington jr um, now I wasn't, as I mentioned earlier, I wasn't fortunate enough to work with him, uh, but I know his son, uh, G3, as most people know him, um, he's an audio guy and I got to do a Groovin' for Grover show, which was a tribute band that was, uh, you know, playing for, um, Grover Washington Jr.'s band. What was it like to work, uh, with him and such, you know, um, such iconic, uh, you know, jazz. I am so lucky, so lucky to have had that opportunity and what a beautiful, incredible supportive loyal human being i mean he was he was just the best and for me it was my first opportunity to work with a crew like a touring crew i've always worked alone and still i work alone but that was like it was a real crew we had a lighting designer we had a keyboard tech we had a drum tech we had a state you know a production manager we had two sound people like tour buses like i'd never done that before and so it was all new. And, and, you know, I was nervous when I first got that gig, you know, because I was like, damn, am I really, can I do this? Like, but I knew I could do it. And I really wanted it. And in fact, Marty Garcia, who got me the gig from Future Sonics, Marty um, had told me about it like months before, you know, this might happen and blah, blah, blah. And I was like, oh, my God, how am I going to do this? Like, I was stressed out. Like, I've never worked on that level before where, you know, where there was like two engineers and the whole production and blah, 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 and carrying, you know, gear and all that stuff. So it was all new to me. It was a, it was a big deal. And Grover, I mean, 
man, what a beautiful, beautiful human being. And he just made everybody feel so good all the time. I mean, within the crew and everybody working in the organization, but the audiences, they were just love fests. Every night was just love emanating from him. And you could feel it in the room. And it was just, what an incredible experience. And I was lucky because I got to mix monitors most of the time. And I love doing monitors because you're right up close to the musicians, you know? And was so, it, so was that was that Crystal Taylor's system? Was that was it their system at the time? Um, no, I mean we were on tours, so it would be different systems. But yeah, we would carry my, a mic package, and we carried um, backline and stuff like that. And then we would use uh, sound companies du jour, yeah. depending on where we were at. So we didn't carry full production, but um, yeah, I don't think we we never even carried consoles. Mm. But you know, it was. It was just being able to be in an organization like that, being able to work with a crew like that. I mean, what a great crew. I mean, to this day, we still, it's been, what, almost 30 years? Yeah, it's been close to 30 years. And we still get together, you know, and, and hang out together and stuff. I mean, it was like, it was really a family. It really felt like a unit. And we all loved each other. And we all had fun. And it was the most fun gig ever you know it was just we had a great time and everybody was just top of the line i learned so much on that gig about sound and um craig melvin who did front of house at the when i first started who also worked a lot with marty garcia he he taught me how to tune a room like i'd never really i you know i said i had an idea but he really showed me what frequencies were I mean, it was really helpful for me because I've just been doing everything alone. So to be amongst other people and to be able to bounce off of people and questions after the gig and oh my god, what just happened and uh, you know what, what what you know what happened when this went wrong. And, I mean, I never get to do that. I still don't get to do that now today. And it was just man, like being in you know intensive school every day. You so know? Uh, we we don't we don't normally go here, but I'm gonna go here anyway. Um, okay. Uh, we so we intentionally and I'll, I'll call it what it is we, we so we talk offline about this that like um, we intentionally don't ask the questions of like hey what was it like being a woman or female coming up in the industry right um, but I'm gonna ask it this time because I mean this this is early on um, it, and for the record I'll say why we don't say that is that we we. Uh, we feel like kind of normalizing that, like we just feel like talking to females, males, whatever as human beings. That, you know, we're not yeah. trying to you know bring that into it. So we there's there's a place and time for that. So um, shoot, they but, let me <laughs> weird. Um, uh, but um, so um, I, we, we just don't want to make every episode that happens to have a female on. Hey, so what's it like to be a female in right. the industry? Like that's just yeah. we just we don't, we don't need that. Um, anyway. But I am curious in this instance, given um, your tenure um, and, and the time, what was it like at that time uh, for you? Were you dismissed at all? Did you have to fight or was it symbiotic yeah. at that time? Like, what was it like? No, I mean, it was, you know, when I was first starting on tour, I was working with Latin bands. So just think of that, cool. you know, I was, I was in the salsa world. So I was working with Willie Clone. Nice. And I mean, these guys... I mean, it's a male world out there in the Latin world, for sure. And going to Colombia and, you know, wherever Central America and South America and stuff. And me showing up like, oh, here I come. You know, I'm like 23 years old. I mean, yeah, it was hardcore, man. I had guys that wouldn't let me touch a console because they thought I'd break it. Like, I literally couldn't even get my hands on a console. 
um, in you know certain places in South America. And I got to hand it to Willie that he was cool enough to take me out on the road with him, and they stood up, they stood by me, and that band were they were like my brothers, you know, and they kept an eye on me and made sure I was cool because I had a guy in my face, like his nose was touching my nose, and he was just screaming at me and basically telling me like, you know, I'm I'm nothing. And he almost hit me because he just couldn't handle the fact that I was there trying to do my job. So, yeah, I had to deal with that. Um, it didn't stop me. And I was a I, because I was so passionate about what I was doing and I was passionate about the music and I cared about the musician so much and I didn't want it to come in between what I was trying to do in my life, you know, that it, I don't know, I never really felt like, I don't, you know, we all have to put up with stuff, mm-hmm. <laughs> unfortunately, and we still do, still, to this day, I, like, a few months ago, I had to put up with some stuff from some guy because he couldn't deal with it. I don't know. <laughs> I just deal with it on my way, and I just try to, like, just power through what I have to get through. At the end of the day, they're going to come to me thanking me, because mm-hmm. that's how it happens, even if they think that I'm just being, you know, bitchy or whatever it is, you know, they can't take it. They're going to, they do, they come to me at the end of the day and thank me for what a great time they had. Because I think the reality is that it shouldn't matter at all. It doesn't matter. But um, yeah, it took, it took a lot and it took a lot of um, guts on my part not to give up. And um, just, I think I was just driven to do it. It didn't, Really, you know, I know the Me Too movement and there's all this stuff and, you know, oh, he touched me or he made me so uncomfortable. But I really feel like if you face it in the moment and you nip it in the bud, you don't have to take it to the New York Times and ruin somebody's life. You can deal with it right there in the moment. And if you can handle that, then you can keep going forward. You know, I really feel like this is it it didn't stop me. And I've been doing this for almost 40 years. you know, yeah, it's not comfortable, and yeah, it's a drag, and come on, do we still have to teach the same old lesson over and over? It's mm-hmm. exhausting. It's so boring, you know? Like, let's just move on. But unfortunately, there are slow learners out there, both men and women. I've had women give me hard times. Like, I had a woman, she, she was awful. It was worse than a man, in fact. And I was, I was just, it was, and that wasn't that long ago. That was, like, within the past, like, six years. And it was like, damn, this is hardcore, you know? So you kind of have to just stand your ground. And for me, I really, that's like when you ask me, like, when did I feel like I really knew what I was doing or I got it, you know? I'm finally feeling that now because there's been so much of that struggle that, you know, I always second guess myself, like, oh, shit, maybe I am doing this wrong or maybe I don't know what I'm doing. And how come they're telling me that I don't know what I'm doing? And the second guessing, I've realized... I, I got I I don't need to be second guessed anymore. I know mm-hmm. now, but it's taken me almost forty years to figure that out. You know, and I think that happens in life in general. It doesn't even have to be in audio or mm-hmm. what we do for a living. This is just life. You know, unfortunately, it has been more of a male centric world that I live in. Um, luckily, there are more women. Thank God, and it's getting better and better. You know, by the day, and men are definitely opening up their minds a lot more so right on you know let's just keep moving forward this is it's about time you know and that's that's, first of all thank you for sharing all that because that's a lot of really important stuff and i i I know our our listeners will appreciate hearing it um you know 
what part of what you said is something that you know i have i have a couple a couple of my mentees are, are younger women and this is something that we talk about which is hey when you walk into a venue they're going to take one look at you and they've made a judgment based on nothing mm-hmm. right um and so yeah. so how do we deal with that but i think a lot of it you know one thing we talk about is don't personalize it first of all it, mm-hmm. it's your game the artist hired you to come in and do the gig it doesn't matter if they think you're unqualified right. Fuck them, you, right. right? It's your game. Right. Do your game, mm-hmm. but 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 also, yeah. you know, I remember even recently being on shows and people just being terrible, just awful to be around. And one of them was a guy that Kyle used to work with. I called him up, I'm like this guy's busting my balls, right? So, um, but I remember thinking, if I were a woman, I would be convinced that this person hates women, and he's just a dick. So like, mm. don't you know? Part of it is don't. Don't don't put it all on your shoulders because maybe that person's just nasty, you know, and, and <laughs> yeah, or maybe they're just unhappy or they're having a right, bad day right. or they're jealous. Mm-hmm. I mean, I feel a lot of times like maybe they think I'm not supposed to be there, that they should be there instead. Right. Mm-hmm. And I, a lot of people come to me and say that, too. And they say, you know, they're, they're jealous of you because they want your gig or whatever. And maybe, maybe not. But that's sometimes that's that. I mean, that it's a similar correlation to younger people in the industry. Um where, I mean, I ran into this. I mean, look, I was touring. I was 19 years old on my first tour. So, you know, like, I remember, like, being in... And, but for the record, for anyone, I'm not comparing me being a 19-year-old male to the same as being a female in the industry and having to deal with the same issues. So I'm not I'm not, not comparing that, right? But I'm just saying the correlation of... Um, I remember, and I'll call it what it is, walking into Chicago Theater Local 2 and getting called kid and trying to get walked yeah. over. And I stopped the crew and I'm like, my name's Chris... Right. You can call me that, or you can move on. This is my tour. We're doing it this way. You know what I mean? Like you know, because they're trying to walk on you because of you know maybe you know um, envious of your gig or what you got going well, it's on. It's so or tiring to have to do that too. It's like, do I? I'm not going to read them my resume. Mm. <laughs> you know, even you know, still to this day, it's like, yeah, I've been doing this for 40 years. I'm not going to walk in the room listening. I've been doing this for 40 years. I'm not going to do that because it's like, forget it. They, they're not, they're no, if they're yeah. giving it's me a actually better. Time, it's better if you do it the other way around. Like, like, you just act like, you act like you don't do know what you're doing. Is, okay, let's break it down to the, the finest element. Doing what we do is a pompous sport. It really mm. is. Because mm. we're working for these athletes. You know what I mean? And uh, I've had that problem too. Like when I used to do late night shows with a pop punk band and it was a new thing, like it was, it was awkward. It was not yeah. fun. It was like me watching some dude tell me he can mix my band better than I can. Right. You know, it, it and, and at the end of the day, that pompous sport is over. And I love how you said that you handled it in the moment because I think that's the, the smartest thing you can do. And the, the second smartest thing you can do is be smart about handling it in the moment. When I was a kid, I didn't do it so well. I'd be like, oh, yeah, you don't like that? Let's go back out here real quick. <laughs> um, I mean, it's but, hard also. Like, I made a rule for myself, like, never cry on stage or whatever, you know, at a gig. You can't cry because if you cry, you're going to be showing weakness and all that stuff. And that's kind of a heavy thing to have to hold back. I mean, it's emotional sometimes. Yeah. You get slapped around. And, and men that. and women both, right? You guys are telling me these stories. It's the same yeah. stuff as I've gone through. So it's all the same. It's just, I think it's just like people, it's animal, <laughs> you know? These guys feel like they're better than you and whether you're a man or a woman yeah. and they, they want to, you know, pound their chest. You know, go right yeah. ahead, pound away. But guess what? I got work to do, so excuse me, you know. Mm-hmm. Let's let's yeah. plug that in right now because I don't have time, you know, for this. I, I always had this thing. It's like 
I'm gonna be on the bus tonight. You don't have to deal with me tomorrow. Yeah. Like. Yeah. Just it, get over it. it pound yeah. your chest. Do what you got to do. But my case needs to be over there. Yeah. You know. Yeah. I mean, you know. Uh, so we all have. To, I think we all go through it. Um, I think women probably have had it worse because it's hey sweetheart or yo baby or you know you get yeah. that. But it's a matter of how you handle it. Like. Okay, I don't really care if somebody calls me sweetheart. And sometimes, actually, I love it when somebody says, man, you know, hey, young lady. It's like, man, I'm so glad you still think I'm a young lady. Right on, you know, right on. I mean, one time I was on stage. It was a Grover gig, in fact. And uh, we were an outdoor stage somewhere. And there was this young kid who was doing all the patch. And he came up to me, really innocent. And he said, man, you're the first sound man chick I've ever seen. <laughs> and I almost got pissed off at him. And then I was like... Wow, sound man chick. That's pretty cool. And so I printed my business card. I had a business card. It was like Claudia yes. Engelhardt, sound man chick. Because it was actually, but it was so innocent. And he, I know he meant well. But I was at first I was like, huh, should I be mad at him for saying this? But it was actually so sweet. You know, it's great. <laughs> I That's mean, you awesome. know, you got to have a sense of humor out there, too. If you take yourself too seriously, forget about it. You're going to suffer. You know, it's just too, it's too stressful what we do. You know, it's like you got to have fun. I, I, I think a lot of the people that were in the industry that had problem with race or gender or whatever, it, it, it's kind of weeded itself out. It really yeah, has. It's gotten and, a lot better, definitely. And, and, and it's part of the old faction, you know, like mm -hmm. there was no formal training for this before. So now the kids that I see coming through uh, university or even trade schools, whether it's full sale or crass or whatever, it, it, yeah. it, it's a lot more elevated and relevant now and right we are going to take their jobs it's it's fine at this point we are going to take your jobs it's it's, it's cool but um, yeah i think it's a matter of respect mm -hmm. too i think a lot of people they see you come in and they like you said you know they they think that they can do your job better but they have to just respect that you're there and there's a reason why you're there and even if they don't like the way you do it and they don't like the way it sounds too bad for them oh well <laughs> and maybe i do suck but that's okay <laughs> i'm i still have the gig you know well, that's just that's i mean that's the that's kind of the elephant in the room with this whole thing i was talking about this with with a colleague of mine this week she called me up and she's like look you know this is this other guy that i work with and he he's mad because he doesn't think that i'm qualified for my job i'm like is he your boss She's like, no, I'm like, it doesn't fucking matter. Like, you know, whoever hired you clearly yeah. thought that you were capable of doing the job. They're still sending yeah. you paychecks, right? Yeah. So just do your job. You know what I mean? Like, right. And they're still <laughs> calling you. If they still right. call you, then. So, but also you do have to be open minded and you have to be willing to learn also. Like, I'm always like, if somebody says to me, oh, you know, if I were, I would do this and that and the next thing, I may not agree with them, but I'll think about it and say, well, huh, I wonder what they're what it is that they're seeing that they think is better and I, i'll take it into consideration and maybe they do have a point or maybe wow actually i learned that something new today from that and you know you've got to be willing to be open also but i think yeah it's just attitude i think it's just just having a thicker skin you know and not getting too defensive. Being defensive, you know, the minute you put the wall up, if you're gonna, it's gonna get worse yeah, and worse and worse. You gotta be ready. People kind of they want to just poke at it and see where the where the cracks are. You know what I mean? And where they can get a reaction yeah. out of somebody. Yeah. When I was younger, it used to be really hard for me, and I used to get really. I mean, I would like painful inside, you know. But I'd have to stand my ground because I knew, like, I'm the only woman here, and I had got to be strong, and I've got to get through this. But it forced me to have to really 
hunker down and really focus on what I know I was doing right and not second guess myself. And being second guess is my worst enemy for sure. When you talk, you know? talk to, oh, if sorry, you could mix a pop artist, <laughs> if you could mix a pop artist right now, who would you go out and mix? Like one show, like someone calls you up and goes, hey, could you mix this show for me? And it's like one of your favorites. What would you do? Stevie oh, Wonder. Oh, yeah. Yes. Beautiful. Wouldn't that be fun? Oh, man. That would be so much fun. fun. You could sing every song. You'd know all the lyrics. And he's such a badass musician. I would love to work with Stevie And his band, band is, is probably just yeah. killing. Are you kidding? Uh, but I think, yeah. I think that's actually one thing you that passed. you... Uh, well, uh, so... I think with jazz, and especially with you know, the, not even just the iconic artists you work with, like you know, jazz musicians are the musicians of the industry, right? So, like mm-hmm. um, one thing that like a previous guest has talked about, David Morgan, he's been very fortunate to work with bands like um, you know, like like Simon and Garfunkel in their band, mm-hmm. or James Taylor, right? And like, so you're working with yeah. these elite musicians, right? So, like, your job is already almost that much easier because you know, look, shit in, shit out, or what's coming in is what's going to be amazing coming out, right? Yeah. So, how, how, um, do you find that I maybe like? like <laughs> well, no, I like. Um, do you think maybe um, some of uh, was maybe some of your work, um, air quotes, easier or whatever because of how good you you didn't have to do maybe as much work because all you really had to do was just kind of amplify what amazing work they were already well, doing or yeah I don't I, I don't think you can say it that way but yes I'm getting a really great package I'm getting the best so. I mean, how the only thing you can do is mess it up. Don't mess it up, well, yeah, you know, because yeah, 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 they're yeah. giving it to you, and it's already there, you know. So yeah, for me, it it feels that way. Granted, um, some people I don't think they'd know what mm. to do with it, mm-hmm. you know. I right. I know that I know what to do with it because I've been doing it and it's been working, and I get recommended to do all these great people, you know, I get to work with. But it's definitely yes. You're getting, I'm getting a super high level musicality. I'm top, top notch as far as I'm concerned, you know. Two questions that stem off his then. Um, one, who who did you put a mic in front of and you were like, wow, that sounds really bad. <laughs> or do, do you go, wow, this sounds really good. I'm going to choose a really cool mic package. Like, do you have a really cool mic package that you use all the time with everybody? Yeah. Go with the second question. Go with the second question. Go with the second question. Don't don't answer uh, garbage. <laughs> yeah. Um. I I like microphones. I don't. You know. I can't carry gear. I don't carry anything. But the only thing I carry are microphones because yep. because I can physically carry them. You know the way things are traveling. You know I don't have a crew. It's just me by myself. So I can carry. If I can physically carry it and lift it into an overhead compartment, then I can do that. So yes, microphones yeah. are my are my thing and um i got fortunate that sennheiser found me and they gave me these fantastic condenser microphones the 8050s which are godsend i love them i use them every single gig for you know as long as i've had them um so yeah i mean i have certain microphones i like on certain things and and, you know, it makes it easier for me. A lot of times I don't get sound checks, you know. In jazz, you're doing a jazz festival. You just get up there and line check and go. So at least the microphones, I know that I have them there. I know what they sound like. I know how they respond. I know how to preset the, the trim to at least, you know, if I have no sound check, at least I know where I'm going with it. 
I know, you know, if I have to do any kind of EQ on them ahead of time, I know basic frequencies of where they might be buggy if, you know, you're outdoors and there's whatever. Um, so yeah, the mics, mics are crucial to me. And so, yeah, and I've got a lot of Sennheiser mics because they've been really good to me and, and I've gotten um, some Neumanns from them also. And I have a Shure VP88, which is my recording mic. I love this microphone, stereo mic, because um, I record everything. I had a, um, the first gigs I ever had was in a jazz club in San Francisco in Keystone Corner. And the sound guy, Milton Jeffries, when I didn't know anything, my first day, just like, I want to be a sound engineer, I'm, you know, 18 years old. And I said, this is what I want to do. And he said, okay, so here's what you do. You move really slow. Like, you know, on the fader, just move slow. He was a big pot smoker, too, so everything was really kind of in this yeah, groovy thing. Everything but, was slow. So, but it was, but it was a really good advice. He's like, move slow and record everything. Hmm. And nice. And this is what I've done in my whole career, and record everything. And he had garbage bags, literally hefty bags full of cassettes of every great <laughs> jazz artist you've ever heard of, ever. That's amazing. <laughs> In a big hefty bags, so you go to his apartment and there would be like 10 hefty bags full of cassettes. And I have boxes of cassettes and dats and CDs and stuff that I've recorded over the years. Now I'm finally digital. I can put it on a thumb drive or whatever, hard drive. But um, these these are things that like, you know, so so for me, like my, my little recording setup, that VP88 is... I love that thing. Mm -hmm. It's great because it just opens up, it livens up my, my board mix. So I'll incorporate that together with my my mix and it just it just brings it to life. You feel the air, you know. So do, uh, semantics here. Do you just like curiosity, do you do you print the recording <clears throat> with the VPA in your mix or do you record them separate and merge them afterwards? No, no. I don't do I don't like to do anything afterwards. It's in the moment. So yeah. So it's all everything goes into my little Tascam two track digital recorder. And it's just yeah, and I just mix it in, you know, I'll do like whatever a pair of aux sends or subgroups or, you know, matrix or whatever and just boom boom post just fader right off the board. The yeah. And then like, you know, so if my if my actual, you know, board mix is a little wonky because whatever the room and I'm compensating, that VP eighty eight definitely is like a mm. kind of gives me a little cush. Also, kind of, you know, because because the band is giving it to me like so, and I got that. I put that mic right in front of the band, like it lives right in front of the band, so it's picking oh, up okay. their sound on stage cool. too. So it kind of it it sort of integrates what they're give what they're doing on stage and what I'm hearing outside. Cool. But, when yeah. you, I was so the mic I was reading a lot of stuff that you know people interviewing you and you talking about. You know, hey, we don't get to carry anything. Um, and so one of the things you mentioned, I think it was a while ago now, is that, you know, the transition to digital was was tougher for you because you have oh, to, yeah. you, you, you said, I, weren't, I wasn't familiar with these different tools. Has that gotten better? And, you know, kind of looking back on that, how, how do you feel about that transition? Yeah, I was, you know, I was really resistant of digital and I fought it for a long time like I don't want to do digital I don't want to be you know I love analog and you know there's nothing better than a you know a Midas analog console you know mm -hmm. it just feels so good you know but <laughs> I <laughs> but I finally came to terms with it because I have no choice it's forced on me 
And so I had to embrace it and I had to stop fighting it because as I was fighting it, it was just holding me back. Like I was like, man, I'm, I'm compromising myself by not being able to figure out how these these consoles work. Um, I still don't know how they work. I mean, you know, I don't have time. I get to a gig. I have maybe at the most two hours from beginning of load in till doors or whatever till we're done with sound check. So how can how much can you do in two hours? And I'm on a different console every day, and I have to figure out. I lean on the 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 uh, local sound person. Jess would probably mm-hmm. remember that. I do. <laughs> like, I do it too. Yeah. I, you know, I have to lean on them because I I don't have time to remember where you know ten different consoles. Yep. And now after COVID, who knows, man? I don't know what I'm going to do when I get on the road. That's important advice, though, for people who are listening. You know, your house tech is there to help you. All you need to do is ask for help. They know that gear. Trust me. Yeah. Yeah, and I, you know what? They, they, they're there from, and I, I make sure they're working for me. You know, I show up. It's like I need you. Don't go away. (laughs) You know, (laughs) and stick around and like, you know, or remind me that I for. I'm supposed to press the select button before I change something. Because how many times have I reached something and turned it and it's not selected and I've changed something else? That happens every single gig. It's like, well, will you please remind me to stay on, stay yeah. with me, stay with me, you know? Because you know, I'm moving fast. I don't have time, so I got to, you know, I got to just get it together, you know. Because not only am I mixing, you know, I'm a tour manager on top of it all, so I'm doing, I'm doing all these jobs at the same time. So. There's a lot going on. People are coming at me like, you know, we need something in the dressing room or, you know, do you have the guest list or, you know, so-and-so's amp isn't working, you know, we got to get another amp, you know, like there's so many details that are away from the actual, what I like to do of doing sound. So I really need that local person to just be there to just hold my hand for like the, at least, you know, just to get me through sound check till I finally Mm -hmm. feel like, oh yeah, right. I remember how to do this again. And then I can relax and just play because that's. But I, know, I think it's awesome that it, you say that up front, like you set that tone because I one of my jobs is I work at a yeah. you know I'm a house tech for for a venue that has roadshows come through, and I have to start off by saying, hey, you know, what do you want from me? Some people are right. like, I've never mm-hmm. seen this board before. Can you patch my show? Some people are like, I'm totally good, so mm-hmm. I'll just I'm gonna stay out of your way. Like I want to figure out what yeah. you know what do you need from me, and I also don't want to be in your way either. So it's that's an important conversation. It's good to have that way in advance too. Like I advance all my shows, you know, I'm I'm emailing and calling people weeks and weeks in advance, you know, and that's a good time to like say, "Hey, you know, when I get there, I'm going to need X, Y, and Z from you and just be prepared that when I show up, you know, I need I need somebody who's, you know, proficient in the gear that I'm going to be working on because I may not have the time to to get inside it and really figure it out, right. you know. And a lot of times it's that way. All right, way. Jess. So, yeah. Yeah, I <laughs> I remember my question. I got so verklempt earlier. Um, it was supposed to lead right into this, which would have been perfect. But um, you've, you've, I've, I was also doing some research pre-show, and um, you have spoken about that moment when you were like nine or ten, when you knew you wanted to work on the road. Um, can you talk more about that moment? What was that all about? Like, how did that happen? Um, well... Okay, because there was so much music in my house and there were so many musicians coming through and they were great musicians and they were on the road all the time. There was sort of this romantic thing about the road in my mind. And, you know, we traveled. My family loved to travel. We would always get in the van 
and we drive places. My dad loved to drive to the desert. Like I grew up in California, so we'd drive to Nevada like in the winter and go camping cool. out in the desert in the in the middle of the winter or whatever, just to see if we could survive in the van. So the road was kind of this thing that was kind of na- natural to me. Anyway, we drove to Mexico for three months one time, and we drove up to Canada. You know, we'd always be on these road trips. So the road was like this kind of romantic place, and. Um, it was Ayerto uh, Moreira, who's a great per- Brazilian percussionist, and Flora Purim, his wife, who's a singer, and their band. And they, they became family friends. In fact, the first band I ever toured was with them. Um, but they would come over, and it was just this kind of cool, it was just so cool. Like, they'd show up, and they'd be on the road, and it was like this thing. And I remember being like a little kid, and like, wow, I, I want to do that. I just want to be on the road and travel. It looked, it looked so cool, you know? Yeah. It was like... It was so much fun, and they'd meet all these people, and there was all this stuff, and it was really fun. So that's that was sort of the fantasy in my mind. Um, and then when I was 18, it was like the light bulb went off in my head. I want to do sound. I hadn't really put that together until later, like, you know, went through high school. I played music and stuff, but I never really wanted to perform, and that was just came into my head. And I was like, when I knew that light bulb went off, I was like, oh, yeah. This is totally, I know exactly this is exactly it. And that's when I went to Keystone Corner and got the gig there. Nice. You know, and just Sweet. started, you know, from nothing, really. Because you speak, you speak a few languages, right? Yeah, I speak Spanish and Portuguese fluently. Wow. And then I speak, you know, and then with it, Italian comes along and I can understand a bunch of stuff. So, and yes, and that's been something also I was saying to Chris earlier, you know, when I met Marty Garcia, he'd hire me to do these gigs with, uh, with his sound company that were the Latin gigs because I spoke Spanish. Nice. <laughs> so I could, you know, translate or I could at least communicate. And, and one of the biggest gigs that happened to me, I was on tour with Ayrton and Flora in Brazil and I was hanging out a couple weeks. I was going to stay in Brazil a couple more weeks because I have friends there. And Miles Mil- uh, Davis was coming through the following week in the same venue that we had just been playing at. And the Brazilian crew came to me and said, man, do you think you could stick around and, you know, help translate for us to the Miles crew? Because we don't speak English and you speak English and Portuguese. And that was probably one of the best career moves I ever made was just translating. I just volunteered. I was like, yeah, sure, of course, you know. And so I you should... did work for Miles Davis. <laughs> 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 yes. I worked. Oh. I worked for. I didn't work for anybody. I was just volunteering, man. I was uh, just no, 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 no. Out. Claim it. Claim it. Claim it. Put it on the resume. But Put it on the resume. through oh. that, that's where I met. That's where I met Marty Garcia. After that, I mean, that connection. That's yeah. where the Grover Washington connection came through. Because all that circle suddenly came together. It was a. It was a fortuitous moment in my in my life of these people. But because of my language skills and because I understood sound, I was on stage translating between the two crews. And it was just a total fluke that that happened. And I mean... No, it wasn't a fluke. It was meant to be. It was meant to be. Yeah, it was beautiful. It was incredible. And I got to see Miles Davis for two weeks straight. Right you mean you work stage. with Miles Davis? <laughs> you work for me. Come on, you know. We're, look, resumes need to be re-ramped here. Coming out of COVID, I mean, put it on there. <laughs> oh man, yeah, it's a crazy. And it wasn't even a sound gig. It was just awesome. I was translating. You work for Miles Davis. Was, All right, thank you, Chris, for your encouragement. Um, thought, yeah, uh, we 
one of the things that's important to us on on this show is uh, good food, especially when you're on the road. Um, oh, yeah. Can you think of I any like place that. when you're out on the road, your favorite place to go eat or your favorite meal that you've had? Oh, man, there's so many favorite meals. And, man, food is – that's the focus of my whole day, actually. It's not about the gig. It's about where are we going to eat. <laughs> I appreciate I it. Seriously. Yes. It is. It is. And that's like uh, – 90% of it is like, so what are we going to – Where you know, like I advance the food. So there's a little little secret here. Honestly, if Prosa, if it wasn't for Prosa Web, we probably would have turned this into a food podcast. But that we're would obligated to talk about audio, yes. but we try to sneak in the food thing here. Yeah. Wait, now I've got to think because it's been my. If, I wish you'd told me this ahead of time. I could have <laughs> thought about like where's my favorite place to eat because I know there are favorite places that we go. It's like we gotta go. You know, when we get here, we're gonna go to mm. this place. And now, of course, I can't think of any. But you know, when you're in Italy, there's some amazing places. When you're in Spain, you eat some incredible food and. Some of the best ones are just like if you have somebody who's just really enthusiastic and caters a really good home cooked meal or something, that's great, you know. Mm-hmm. But it's yeah, it's we it's all about food for us actually. The music is like <laughs> if we don't if if we eat well, the gig is going to be great. That's you know, it's always like that. It's like we we words, like to eat before. Well, the corollary yeah, is so. I was doing this thing a couple of years ago, and and the, whatever the catering people had showed up with was just the most offensive, horrendous, and and the whole crew was just that was when you're on the headset, everyone was just talking about how terrible the dinner was, and no one was paying attention to the show. So that that's a real thing. Yeah. See, see, it's true. All right, Chris, 2021, right. man. All right, so Claudia. <laughs> If you could define your legacy or how you'd want to be known, how would you define that? Oh, my God. Um, wow. I don't know. Like, seriously? <laughs> That's like, I don't know. Um, I guess that, that it's all about music. And that that's this is what my purpose is is to just help bring music to people and have a great time and do and be with people that you love you know, and that's I've been lucky enough to be able to do that and, and I surround myself with music music that I love and people that I love and I think that's a pretty good uh, thing to be able to have done in a career you know to working with musicians. So. Great. Yeah. Beautiful. Claudia, yeah. thank you so much for your time. It's been so great to chat with you. I'm sure our listeners are going to really appreciate really the conversation. Fun. Thank you so much. <laughs> well, thanks for having me. This is like, I love doing this.